Welcome to the Modern Cloister. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and today we are kicking off a series on community. Because this is our first podcast, we're starting with community because it's one of the main focuses of the Modern Cloister. And so we invite you to join us on our journey. We're going to be starting today by talking about Christian community. We're going to be defining it, talking about what it looked like in the early church through today. Then we're going to be talking about the decline of community, the future of community, as well as taking a little bit of a tangent and talking about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on community as well. So we're going to start by defining and talking about what is Christian community. And to do that, we're going to look at what the Bible says about it first. So when we look at the Old Testament, pre-Christ, can we learn anything about Christian community from the Old Testament? Kevin, I know when we were talking and preparing for this, we really decided that there were two main things to think about and know when it comes to community in the Old Testament. The first was that it is a little difficult to model it exactly against today because we were what was called a covenant nation. So can you talk to us and our listeners a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so we, we were, we as in the, the church, the Old Testament, um, which was not the church yet, was was specifically a, a called out community, a ethnic, uh, racial, religious people group. Uh, they spoke a single language and they were specifically called out. You know, everyone knows the story. They're called out of Egypt and uh, given a, the land that was promised to Abraham. So they were a completely separate theocratic nation. Their head was God for a while until they asked for their king. So they were ruled by, you know, judges, which would have stood out. They were ruled then by kings that were, you know, appointed by God through the prophets. Uh, so very different context than what we are in, you know, today. Um, there, there would have not been a distinction between a community within the nation of Israel that would be a religious community and the nation. They were, they were mm-hmm. the same, essentially. Yeah, so, we, so we have this first concept that we were a covenant nation. But that nation, just because it was a nation in and of itself, wouldn't necessarily have had to look different or act different than any of the other nations around it, whether it was in the pre-exilic period or the post-exilic period or any time in between. So there was this second component of what community was, and it was this being set apart to live differently. So talk to us a little bit about that part. Yeah, so there would have been some distinctions. Uh, for the most part, they would have looked very similar to an ancient Near East community, uh, like most of the other communities listed in the Bible, in their kind of daily life, the agricultural life, uh, many of their rules. But God gave specific laws to set them out, to make them a clean and pure nation. You see that a lot in the Old Testament laws of the the word of you know being pure and, and purifying yourself uh, versus being unclean. And some of them seem arbitrary. Uh, like, why do we take a day off of the week? You, th- this wasn't done. You know, so the Sabbath would really set people apart and show you who they are. And the same thing with the dietary laws. You look at those. Why can't you eat rock badgers? Everyone always asks that question. <laughs> and, you know, the reason was there was supposed to be a distinction between the other nations. Even though they were a nation like other nations, they still had some distinction. And that would have stuck out more, you know, certainly during the exile as they're living in Babylon or Assyria. They certainly would have uh, looked different. You know, circumcision is obviously one of the biggest ones. They would have looked different and acted different. And I think um, that is where we get some things of how we should look at today. And uh, this transitioned on into the New Testament with um, 
again, they weren't a nation. They were a group. They were a people group, a Christian community. We've become a covenant community. It's no longer an ethnic group, uh, a language group, a people group. It is open to all people, Jews, Gentiles, you know, as Paul says. And so one of our major calls is not to be conformed to the world. So we would look different, and we get that difference mostly in Acts and the epistles. So uh, did you want to go through a little bit of Acts? I did, yeah. One of the one of the books of the Bible that people typically turn to when starting a conversation about community is the book of Acts because it really laid out what the early church looked like from, you know, the, the scripture's point of view being the inspired word of God. And so just to give all of us a foundation for where we're, we're headed with some of our discussion, I was going to read a little bit of the second chapter of Acts, which is probably one of the most referenced passages, and then make a couple other references that ties in some of those themes. So we have here, um, and the title in the Bible I'm reading from is The Fellowship of the Believers. And so in chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this passage really lays out the four main elements of what the church community looked like. There was the apostles' teaching, which was the way that um, both the, the words of Jesus and the stories shown in the Old Testament were passed along. There was the fellowship between the believers, which was really them participating together toward a common goal. There was the breaking of the bread, which was essentially a communal table and meal together, which was often followed by the Lord's Supper as well. And then there was prayer, which was one of those critical components that formed the, the early church. Now, throughout the, the New Testament in general, specifically in Acts and in other places, in some of the epistles, you have a lot of other passages that speak to the components of what the early church looked like. And so I pulled out a couple of different phrases that we find quite often. So we have things like later in Acts, it calls the community to have one heart and mind, to share everything they had. There was another part that said that there shouldn't be a needy person among them, that their charge was to care for one another and really promote the flourishing of the entire community for the sake of the gospel. There's charges to speak truthfully to their neighbor, to build each other up, to view each other as members of one body. There was a lot of talk of unity. There was a, a charge to bear with one another, to forgive one another as we have been forgiven and to provide for one another. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians, and I think it's chapter 8, some verses in there that talk about a charge to give according to their means and then also beyond their means as they could. And there's this great line in there that says, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need. And so these passages really show us what the community was supposed to look like. We were essentially members of one big family, promoting the overall well-being, unity, and flourishing of each other, but not just for the sake of each other, but for the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. So there were two, com two components really to that, both the belonging to each other in Christ and also the promotion of Christ to the ends of the earth as the charge of the community, as the foundation for why. Right. We had you know, many uh, commandments, many things from Peter and Paul, both telling us how to act with believers as far as, uh, you know, exhorting each other, bearing each other's burdens. But there was also a good bit about how to live among everyone else. And so that would be 
how your community lives amongst the society. Because again, the society, it was a Greco-Roman society, completely different world that we were living in. And, um, you know, so Peter tells us to live as best we can peaceably amongst everyone. And uh, Paul tells us to, to live a quiet life and work hard. Uh, he literally says work with your hands. And so that's kind of a funny thing today as we move to a service economy to think about what that would look like. But, you know, his point is to, to make a living and kind of live your life. But we are to care for other people. Uh, most of our charge is to care specifically for believers. Um, that's what the deaconate was set up for. But Christians also took it to your point earlier about it becomes the gospel point, and that's how it gets out to people is some of our care and love for each other. And uh, you can read some of the ancient historians talk about uh, Christians who would care not only for, you know, maybe orphans or widows within their community, but even those outside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was one way they really grew. Important to remember. Right. It was, it was a very different, because why would you... You know, I guess maybe with our division now, we're moving into a more tribal kind of, you know, us versus them world. But that was certainly the way it was then. Why would you help someone from another nation? Why, mm-hmm. why would you care? But the call of Christ is a call to live, you know, outside of these ethnic and religious bounds. And that's that's another thing that really would have would have stuck out would be uh, just the cross cultural really within within the Greco Roman world. Uh, certainly, cross you know class and, and income if you could call it that, about half of the society either lived at or below subsistence. Um, mm-hmm. So they would have been a very stratified um, hierarchical community. Yet on, on a Sunday, you would find um, slaves, bond servants, you know, uh, artisans, merchants. You would find uh, fishermen, you know, maker and tanners of leather, all at a house of an aristocratic maybe senator's wife you know we have these women in the bible who owned property they owned estates and you have people meeting there so that would look like nothing else at the time there were no parties at the time where you would have you know a senator uh some someone in the aristocracy who would have well obviously they'd have their servants there but they'd be there serving them you you wouldn't have you wouldn't be seated next to someone having sharing bread or drinking wine from the same cup as a servant Uh, and you certainly would have nothing to do with a fisherman or a tent maker like paul yeah it was it's really interesting to think about the equality in christ that was represented at that table that all were welcome regardless of that which i think is really interesting and to your point earlier you know that the the charge to care for one another extended past just your immediate borders so you know there's there's examples in the new testament of supporting churches from different areas of the time and so that would be you know we're here in the atlanta area and so that would be you know comparable to how we support churches say in chicago or san francisco or up in maine if there was a church doing work there that that there's a a a brotherhood a sisterhood a community and a family that's not just bound by your proximity to one another that it really extends past that and out into the world and so i think that's an important component that that what you were just talking about as far as what the table looks like was really being replicated and supported as the church grew and flourished and started spreading out into these areas. And so that's a really good way to start talking about what it looked like on the ground in the early church. So we have the picture here of what God is showing us he wants for the early church and for believers and community. But Kevin, I know you you really have spent several years reading about church history. You know a lot more about it than I do in its specificity. So I would love to spend some time chatting through 
what did it look like a little bit more on the ground in those times, um, some of the specific ways that it was unique from historical perspective past what we've already talked about, if you could. And then we'll, we'll start talking about how that evolved in the lead up to some of the larger rulers of the time, like Constantine. Right. So from Acts, you know, written in the maybe 40 AD or so um, till, you know, the mid fourth century with, with Constantine, who made Christianity after his conversion, he made it uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Before that, you know, there are times, obviously, you know, famously Nero and um, I'm trying to blank on his name, Dionysius. But anyway, one of the, one of the other rulers, Dominion, Domitian. Anyway, he, under those two, you know, and among others, we would have severe persecution. That's when, you know, kind of people maybe famously should at least know that that's when we were fed to lions. That's when we were used as torches, like literally set on fire on poles. Other times we were kind of outlawed, but also also ignored, you know, kind of like speeding. Like it's okay to, to an extent. So if someone didn't go to a temple... And you know, worship Caesar or worship these other uh, gods or goddesses of various localities, as you were required to do. You eh, would maybe just kind of ignore it. To other times, you know, kind of a plurality. And in certain areas and times, yeah, you could worship. It was fine. Other times it was quiet. Other times it was persecuted. And, and that lasts for a couple hundred years up up until Constantine after his conversion. Um, which you know, people like to dispute. Was it? purely a political thing maybe it was already rising to the classes and he took it on but that, that for the sake of history and and the way the church looked that doesn't really matter so we went from being a group that was set apart think back to our discussion of old testament people in exile that that's really how we live that exile thing is something to remember we looked very different than the community around us but then we became the official religion of the community i'm sorry of the of the country of the country of the empire and um, so that merger kind of changes the way we then look because we then were society. Yeah. And so that takes us essentially up through the time of Constantine, correct? Correct. So then talk to us a little bit about how did that impact community when we became basically one and the same with everything around us? We essentially were quote unquote Christian and it was everywhere. And so talk about that in a, in a specific sense and then how that led into and um, the Reformation, which is then the next really big shift that we've identified for some of the community discussions. Sure. So to just put a thousand years in a couple sentences. Yep, there's, a thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's, uh, you know, it, we shrink away from the broader Mediterranean, um, especially after uh, Muhammad establishes Islam in North Africa. You know, prior to that, Alexandria, Carthage, were two of the most important cities in the Roman Empire, and um, that's where we get. Some people like uh, Aquinas and um, his mentor and some of his contemporaries, you know, speaking out of that school from the, the the shift from the Greek to the Latin kind of theologians and early, early church fathers. But th- then, like I was saying, we, we didn't really have a distinction. We were uh, a, kind of a singular continental. Of course, the church existed down, you know, it still existed as the Coptic church in Egypt, which still exists today. And of course, the Ethiopian churches. And so, you know, there were churches in Iran and then course around a thousand AD the Orthodox Church in Turkey you know split off with Constantinople and, and uh, Istanbul so but but broader speaking you know we're, we're talking kind of the, the tighter European context we were a European church we kind of became a people as, as Europeans and it really kind of became a in a sense a European religion especially with the Holy Roman Empire 
So everyone kind of had to live a sense in a biblical community. Everyone went to church. There were uh, places where church attendance was required. You could be fined or punished for not attending church. Uh, your tax dollars went to churches, as they still do in, in parts of Europe today. 10% <laughs> would be taken out and given to support uh, the min- ministry or ministers of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then over the course of those couple of centuries, we, we lead up into the Reformation, which was hugely significant for the church as a whole, but then also for its impacts on church communities. So what are some of the big things that happened in the Reformation that point us in the direction of how it impacted community and the spread of the church? Right, so the Reformation would, again, kind of make some people people separate, um, partly because we are then separated from the governing structure. The you know Most nations, at least for a while, stayed part of the, you know, the Latin Catholic Church. You know, eventually the, the Germanic people, the, you know, obviously Austria, Germany, um, the Scandinavian, you know, they, they split off and followed Lutheran. And, um, of course, later the English church split for Anglican, not for theological reasons. They just wanted to have divorce. So the difference then for people in those areas, they had to form smaller communities. Again, they were almost exile you know protestants became different than the society as a whole and you know the five solas sola scriptura means scripture over the church essentially so that's over church tradition scripture is our final authority not the pope and so in god's providence we had the printing press at the time and part of the reformation was to take the the bible out of uh, latin really which was what most masses were uh done in you would have priest doing the mass and doing the homilies and it would be all in latin and most people didn't speak latin and so you'd be maybe hearing scripture but you wouldn't actually be hearing it because you didn't speak it mm-hmm. and in some instances the priest didn't even speak latin they just knew you know they had memorized these homilies which, that's so hard to imagine that being the case right and that's so of course crazy. people gain nothing and and luther and tyndall and calvin you know very desperately wanted it to be in our own language. And so some of them at risk, some of them did die, translated the Bible to local languages. And then, with, like I said, with the printing press, they were able to have it. And so now people were really hearing it for the first time. Literacy was slowly rising. And, and really, universal literacy comes from the Protestant Reformation. It comes out of the idea that everyone needs to know how to read so that they can read the Bible. I mean, this is how important it was. This is how we really started, at least the American context of public education came from Scottish Presbyterian idea of everyone has to know, that's how important the Bible is. Everyone has to learn how to read. Everyone needs to be educated so that they can read and understand the Bible. And once you have that, you see the biblical community now. You know, some people for hundreds of years were just living in a, you know, a small mountain town in Germany and considering themselves Christian and that was just life. It didn't uh, there was nothing else. And then they read the Bible and saw the differences. And, you know, this led to Bible studies. This led to piety groups. This led to, uh, you know, certain people like the Waldesians and some of the Anabaptists. And they kind of broke apart from community. And in the English content, you had the, the Puritans and people like that, that that really focused in on the Bible and really made themselves distinct. Mm-hmm. So I think fair to say in summary then, the Reformation helped move what community should look like from the tradition of the church back into what the Bible was actually calling for within community because it was accessible once again in their own languages and they were able to do some of that. Correct, yeah. That's really cool. So, that's right. 
So I know it's hard to always summarize everything that you're saying in one succinct <laughs> statement, but I'm going to always try here for us. So I'm, I'm quite poor at it, as <laughs> so, uh, people have already where, heard. Hopefully, hopefully I can help some, um, not only for my own sake, but hopefully our listeners too. So, so we just talked about the Reformation, and so then we enter into this period. From from that huge shift, we then start a couple century journey toward what we're going to call the peak of church in America. And so along this trajectory, we've been primarily talking about the early church in its historical context um, and another content from where we are in America. And so as we make this transition, we're going to start that probably end actually that journey at the, the 1950s or so with the current state of the church in America. And so again, I'm going to ask you to summarize a couple hundred years of church <laughs> history in two or three minutes, but talk to us a couple of, of the couple highlights you would see from that time period. Sure. Not only not only a couple hundred years in Europe, but also then a, a global Christian community. Yes. So in three Changed sentences, continents, hugely sure, different. Sure. No, we we are going to shift here. Uh, you know, we are obviously in Americans, and uh, we're we're speaking in the American context. So you know, it was a mishmash of people who came here. They were Catholics. Uh, they were Anglicans. You know, um, uh, yeah, John and Charles Wesley came here and, and kind of got Methodism going. Uh, there, there are Baptists. There are Quaker. You know, Pennsylvania was Quakers, right? Uh, Rhode Island, I think, was Baptist. Most of in the Northeast was um, Puritans, which were, co- you know, kind of a covenantal, continental, um, congregational reformed. And so y- you had a mix, and they all kind of blurred together. And really early on in the church, especially right around our founding and revelation, revelation, a <laughs> revolution was uh, probably the low point in church attendance. And what we think of, we think that historically there was a lot of church attendance. It was it was really quite low. I've seen estimates in the ten to twenty percent, and um, and most historians agree on that. What really brought us about in the American context was the certainly the first Great Awakening, and to a lesser extent the second, uh, which really shaped modern Christianity. But that just we we just shot up. People went to church. Church became integrated back into life again, like it hadn't since. I mean. Certainly, parts of Europe, maybe even back to you know Constantine, other than it was never an official religion, though it was official religion of some states, but never of the United States as a whole. So we see this increase all the way to about the 1950s, mm-hmm. um, where that was peak church attendance. I believe it was somewhere in the 70, 80 percent of people uh, would go to church. And if you listen to White Horse Inn, which is probably the best podcast out there for uh, the Christian community, he talks. Uh, Michael Horton, the host, uh, speaks often about. This, just the shift in mindset, the study from we used to consider a regular attender of church, someone who went twice a week. Now we look at twice a month. And we'll get into more of that on our next episode. But, yeah. but 50 was really, 1950s was really the high water mark. And really we we're integrated. That's when we added, in God we trust our money. Uh, One Nation Under God was added to our pledge. And so we really see this integration again. And we really kind of peak that syncretism between society and Christian community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's probably a good place to wrap up for to this episode as we prepare for the next time we're going to talk more about the decline of community. So essentially from this peak that Kevin was just talking about in the 1950s to where we are today and understanding some of that context. So for now we're going to wrap up here and we're going to do so with a question of why understanding this is really important for us as Christians today. Why really should we care about this? And a lot of that really stems from the point of anytime you can understand the, the history of, of where you came from, it's always helpful in contextualizing what you're, you're living within as well. And so it's 
in the, you know, overall redemptive narrative that's shown to us in scripture, the call to be set apart and different from those around you as a set apart people of God, I think is one of the things that strikes me as the biggest lesson learned when I look back all the way at the beginning of God's people through through the story um, of the Bible and and the charge that that leaves for us today to be thinking critically about what it looks like to capture those pieces and continue working toward those. Kevin, what would you add to that? Because I know it's a really important question for our listeners. Like, why should they care about all of this? Yeah, outside of what we were saying about history, it's also, it's the Bible. Again, we consider that the the inspired word of God. You know, we have these couple instances in Acts. Uh, we have the Paul's references in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians for some of you out there. And it tells us to to, to give, to commune, to, to be different. And so obviously the Holy Spirit had some point there for us as, as he inspired uh, Luke and, and Acts sorry, Luke and Paul to write this so that it gives us reason. And we have, you know, exhortations from from Peter and Paul in both their letters. And these are people speaking with apostolic authority. I mean, they, they are giving us commands to care for each other. So obviously God cares. And that's a place to start. That doesn't mean you don't ask why mm-hmm. and how. But, but as we kind of touched on in our, you know, brief 2,000-year summary of the, <laughs> of the Christian community, that, that's how we grew. You know, um, our, our community being set apart, you know, actively was different. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's one of the importance. And, and I think, as we'll see in the next bits of our series, it, their set-apartness, going all the way back to the Old Testament, is something that sets a model of where we may go as we move more towards a post-Christian society. Yep, Absolutely. So we hope that you've enjoyed this first episode. We hope you will also join us for our next episode where we talk about the decline of Christian community and continue on our journey toward the future of community as well. Yep. (laughs) We were looking at each other like, who's speaking next? So the next thing we have is just to remind you, um, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us for the journey, make sure to rate us, review us, and subscribe to us. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carissa Turner. I'm at the Kevin Turner. And you can also find my ramblings at mondaymorningtheologian.com. So thanks for joining us on the, on the Modern Cloister. See you guys next time. Thanks, y'all.